Welcome to the Onyx Report, a program that critically analyzes the experiences, histories, and perceptions of black males in American society across age, class, region, sexuality, and profession. I'm your host, Dr. T. Hassan Johnson, Associate Professor of Africana Studies at Fresno State, black male studies scholar, and black male advocate. In the program, we examine current events and major issues using an empirically driven black masculinist theoretical lens, thus including such concepts as the black male dual economy, anti-black misandry, phallicism, the subordinate male target hypothesis, and the black gynarchy. Our goal is to remind people, including black men themselves, of black men's humanity. Join us every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, either on YouTube or innerlightradio.com. Okay, welcome to the Onyx Report. I hope everybody's well, uh, especially in the midst of all of this hectic craziness. I myself am just walking back in the door from um, hitting the store. It's a little concerning to me how many people I'm seeing operating as if nothing is going on whatsoever. That kind of throws me, but, um, you know, doing all the things that we're supposed to, you know, alcoholing down some of the central things you use, like your phone, of course, washing your hands, separating out the clothes you just wore outside, uh, keeping them from touching furniture, other clothes, so on and so forth. So just kind of being mindful. So I thought I'd just kind of drop that to you uh, in case you're about to do the same, walk in the door, you know, uh, if you are wearing gloves, make sure you don't touch your face, take them off, you know, wash your hands, the whole kind of deal. Hopefully social distancing can actually do some good if for no other reason than to protect your household. Anyway, um, good to be back. Uh, it's been a little minute. Um, please donate uh, uh, to the show. Uh, you can find me on Patreon, uh, at Cash App, uh, and, and, and PayPal me. Uh, those will be linked also in the YouTube video when I post this later on, a little later on this evening. Also, if you're on YouTube, subscribe to the channel, hit the bell so you can be alerted when I go live or post new videos, which I'll probably be doing more of soon enough. And please share uh, when you can. Um, also, for today's show, uh, in particular, I'm calling out to black men who may have some experiences in line with what I'm talking about to go ahead and call in 310-928-7733 um, and uh, contribute to the dialogue. So as you probably have seen, if you're on my social media, the title of today's show is, Okay, You Can Be a Man Now, Expectations of Black Men During the COVID-19 Quarantine. Um, but before we get to that, y'all know how I like to do. I like to give some overall announcements, handle some some uh, some business real quick and then get to a few current events. Now, today's show, we were supposed to have Dr. Thomas Foster, author of Rethinking Rufus, uh, an incredible text where he actually uh, uh, gives voice uh, to black men during the slavery era uh, about their experiences. They actually, you know, he quotes directly from them. But uh, obviously, due to the virus and the concerns around that, uh, he wasn't able to make it to today's show. So hopefully we can get him back a little bit later. I was kind of looking forward to that because I'm using his text in my black male experience course. Uh, and so classes at Fresno State have resumed online. And so I was hoping to be able to engage him directly with some of the questions that students had. But like I said, he wasn't able to make it. So we'll see if we can get him in at another time. Um, also, uh, if you had not had a chance to check it out, I recently did a review 
of the uh, Netflix film Self Made, the inspired by the story of Madam C.J. Walker. Uh, it's a live video review on YouTube on my YouTube channel. So you can just search Dr. T. Hassan Johnson and you can find it there. Uh, and for those uh, for those geeks like myself, I also did a review of the the new animated uh, film Superman Red Sun, uh, looking at the the gender and racial politics of both. Uh, it just really kind of giving us a sense of where current media is around those issues. So uh, a little bit of that, just to give you some heads up for those who may have missed it, go ahead and check it out. Um, okay, so looking at uh, current events, a few things, uh, just some random issues uh, that kind of that caught my eye. First of which has to do with actor T.C. Carson. Those of you who remember him, remember that name. Uh, he was, uh, I think he really kind of got his big break on the show Living Single around 1993, uh, created by Yvette Lee Bowser. That's if I didn't mispronounce her name. Uh, and she, uh, and, and the show, you know, really centered around a crew of uh, black women, uh, friends. Um, series went from 1993 to 1998, starring Queen Latifah, Kim Coles, Erica Alexander, um, and a number of others. The list is incredibly long if you haven't had a chance to look at it. Even if you're a follower of the show, you'd still be amazed at how many people at different points starred. Uh, it also starred uh, Kim Fields, um, John Hinton, uh, Mel Jackson, a number of others. Heavy D at one point was a regular on the show. Shout out to Heavy D. Uh, uh, peace and blessings to him. Uh, he's one of my, my inspirations, uh, you know, coming up. As a matter of fact, I started my blog uh, new Black Masculinities at really in response to his passing because Heavy D, for my generation, uh, hip-hop generation, he meant a great deal, but especially in terms of masculinity because he always carried himself, at least in terms of his public persona. I don't, I never had a chance to meet him. I don't know much about him privately, but his public persona was highly inspirational and uplifting, uh, you know, and, and very progressive as far as Black men are concerned. So shout out to him. But this particular piece is a YouTube interview done with T.C. Carson where he talks about, um, you know, how he ended up leaving the show. And he's very explicit where he said he was actually fired from the show. Uh, he didn't name names. He didn't really go into depth about who did what. Um, but he said that one of the problems he had, of course, was how the actors were treated. So he would often be the outspoken one to uh, voice concerns. But another issue uh, was the representation of black men on the show. And apparently he went out his out of his way uh, alongside John Hinton, who played Overton Obi Wakefield Jones, to make sure that he and 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 Hinton weren't just the Lenny and Squiggy uh, to the rest of the women's Laverne and Shirley. He he was very concerned about black men being represented as buffoons, and he said he you know they recorded some shows early in the first season where they really kind of stepped back and looked at that and began to push for more uh, grounded. Uh, representations, and he made the argument that the you know you couldn't have two buffoonish black men against uh, a, a crew of strong black women in the show. So I, I, I shout him out, and he also talks about the influences behind his character Kyle Barker. You know, his influences from his own life, his father. I believe he said, I, I want to say he said his uncle, but he talked about the influences and how he kind of surgically kind of pulled together those influ influences to create a character that had some depth and some dimension to him. So shout out to him for that. And shout out to other black men uh, in, in any field who go out their way to make sure 
that black men are, are represented as realistically as possible, but also as humanely as possible. And that's one of the things that I will give him credit for. Uh, that character, Kyle Barker at the time, definitely spoke to me. And he was one of the reasons I watched that show. Uh, because he had depth, he didn't just take what was thrown at him. He, he could give it as well as take it, you know. Um, but he also had a three-dimensionality to him. Now, this next piece, I wanted to play a short video or short, I guess, the audio from this video for you. Um, and it's very short. It, it has to do with a recent bus driver incident that uh, some of you may know about. I'm going to see if we're queued up for it. How are we looking? Okay, let's, uh, let's go ahead and, and play the clip. who later died faced a judge this morning prosecutors say the driver ignored the passengers screams for help cbsn new york's jenna DeAngelis has more from newark please enter her plea with her hands behind her back a stoic 34 year old faola howard stood before a judge in handcuffs as her attorney entered a plea of not guilty to charges including vehicular homicide and leaving the scene of an accident resulting in death this is a rather um, a New Jersey bus driver incident that took place. Prosecutors say Howard, a bus driver more than five years, was behind the wheel of an NJ Transit bus on December 31st when 55-year-old Kevin Thomas was caught in the bus door and dragged. It started when Thomas and a friend on board the bus noticed another woman get off at a stop and leave behind a purse. They ran off the bus to return it. His friend got back on the bus, and when Thomas tried to go through its front door, prosecutors say Howard closed it and drove away with his arm trapped. He's running basically full speed alongside this bus. As the bus turns right in front of him, he falls to the ground and is run over by the back tires. I guess no good deed goes unpunished. Passengers on the bus were yelling at you to stop the bus. Mr. Thomas was yelling for you to stop the bus, yet you did not stop the bus. And it's, it's perplexing as to why you would not stop, but you did it. You kept going. Thomas died a week later. Prosecutors noted several failed attempts to reach Howard, resulting in her arrest last week at Newark Airport while she was boarding a plane to Trinidad. Her attorney says this trip was planned before the incident. Fiola decided to travel not to relax, not to go on vacation, but to be with those closest to her so she could deal with what for her is a very upsetting and troubling event. The judge says there's no way of knowing whether or not she would return, announcing she'll be detained pending the outcome of the case, resulting in an emotional courtroom. <laughs> Family on both sides did not want to speak today, but a community member had this to say. She just kept going. She heard the men screaming and yelling, stop the bus. Everybody was telling her to stop the bus, and she wouldn't stop the bus. I just feel like she got what she deserved to be detained. NJ Transit officials say once they learned about the allegations against Howard, she was removed from service. Howard has no prior criminal record. She's being held behind bars and is due back in court here on March 20th. In Newark, New Jersey, Jenna DeAngelis, CBSN, New York. Okay. So that was a story coming out of New Jersey uh, dealing with the death of one black male. Um, 
who was dragged by a bus uh, by the truck driver, the bus driver who kept going. Um, she was a 34 year old black woman. This was a slightly, he looked like he's older black male. Nonetheless, um, very sad occurrence taking place, uh, marking the death of a black man in needless fashion. Um, and I, I, I wanted to just give a few words to it, but then again, I thought, you know what, we need to, I want you guys to actually hear it uh, because it was an unnecessary tragedy. Um, and, and especially one coming to, one, uh, to a black male who was actually just trying to help somebody who got his arm caught coming back in and there was no consideration for him uh, you know, getting back on the bus at all. And so to hear somebody dying in 2020 like that is just senseless, just absolutely senseless. So I kind of wanted to give the brother a little due credit, a little acknowledgement because uh, at the end of the day, uh, no one should have to die like that, but especially, you know, black men who are actually going out their way to be, you know, civil, humane and helpful uh, to others. Uh, and this is the kind of, you know, treatment that uh, they get at times. So this is the, this was a sad particular story for me. If you haven't checked it out, you can find it uh, on YouTube and particularly at CBS New York. Um, and uh, the, the bus driver's name is Fayola Howard, so you can search that out and uh, look for the story in more detail. Uh, next up, uh, we have a coronavirus outbreak reaching triple digits in uh, New York City jails for inmates. Um, this is a, a problem uh, as New York becomes the state hit hardest by the outbreak. Uh, and this article that I'm looking at uh, with, on Vlad TV, March 30th, uh, states that, you know, at that point, uh, there's over 59,000 cases total. Um, and that's followed up by another article that I just received that showed that uh, New York, it looks like New York prisoners, let me see, see if I can open it up real quick, are being asked to, you know, dig the graves for the potentially uh, yet to be uh yet to die, um, people who are, are dying in response to this virus. Um, so, you know, much like the, the fires we heard about a few years ago in California, where you had ex-cons, you know, being pushed out for pennies on the dollar to serve as, you know, firemen. Now we have a situation here at Rikers Island where uh, they're being offered $6 an hour to dig mass graves as COVID-19 deaths rise. So these are undoubtedly, based on the statistics and the geography, uh, many black men being pushed into this new economy, this new death economy, and working the front lines of it, okay? Um, another particular story about a hero MTA train operator who dies trying to evacuate, evacuate commuters from Harlem subway fire. At least nine others were hospitalized. This is an article in the Daily News, New York Daily News, March 27th. Uh, and it's about uh, one Garrett Goble, if I pronounce that properly, devoted dad of two young sons, died the same way he lived, doing the right thing. Um, his body was found on the subway tracks in Harlem after evacuating terrified riders early Friday from a smoky and suspicious subterranean blaze aboard an uptown train. 36-year-old Goble was discovered on the roadbed in front of the number two train when first responders arrived to the 110th Central Park North Station about 3.15 in the morning. Um, some pretty gruesome pictures of the train in terms of uh, the fire that broke out. But uh, shout out to this uh, relatively young man, Garrett Goble, for actually, again, sacrificing his life for others. Uh, this is a consistent series of stories I've been hearing about for the last few weeks of black men who, one, are forced to work 
you know, despite um, the shelter and home uh, conditions many states are in because they, you know, they're either in essential fields or because they can't afford not to, but uh, losing their lives helping others. Um, so uh, just a few of those kind of stories just to put on the front burner in honor of several black men who, although they have had news reports, I haven't seen them widely acknowledged and I wanted to take a moment to do so. Um, just a quick update as far as Fresno is concerned, where I am, Fresno County, uh, as of April 1st, the situation here is we got about a total number of cases of 82 in relation to COVID-19, um, 20 travel related, 11 person to person, 14 community spread and 37 under investigation. Um, but that of course, considering the low number of tests that have actually been distributed is probably low. Um, there are about 831 individuals monitored to date, but it is nonetheless growing exponentially um, as we can see. So if you've been following the news, you know the US surpassed Italy in the number of deaths um, in relation to COVID-19. And that says something about what is going on. Um, anyway, all right, so let's get to it. Um, this, of course, again, the show is called, Okay, You Can Be a Man Now, Expectations of Black Men During the, during the COVID-19 Quarantine. Now, what that has to do with is I received a series of messages um, from black men in the last few weeks. And many of my listeners are professionals. They really can't afford to have their professional reputation sullied, but they nonetheless reach out to me in private. You know, it's one of the reasons I usually don't get a lot of call in, but uh, brothers reach out to me in private and share their stories. And so I posted this a few days on social media in response to a collection of stories. And these range across age, across generation, across um, occupation, uh, you know, across class in some respects. And these men are calling with very similar stories. So what I wrote in response to that was this. Random men are reaching out, telling me stories about the kinds of expectations they're getting from the women that contact them. Calls from women they sometimes haven't heard from in decades. Ex-wives, past girlfriends, even one night stands. Even women that they've that they had a connection to but never acted upon, each asking for protection and sacrifice for men they claimed they didn't want a while ago. But now these men are being sent uh, nude pictures, they're being really kind of courted uh, on uh, over social media and so on, even dating apps, right? Men have even said their profiles on these dating apps are blowing up with women who've declined them in the past, men who were told they weren't good enough a week ago are all of a sudden in vogue. Um, they were told they were that you know they were beneath the women they were trying to talk to, and somehow that's reversed. Which interest? What's interesting is that the women have had very little to suggest that they were willing to contribute for this protection and sacrifice they were requesting, but are very clear about what they expect. Men have been asked to serve, lift, carry, give, not loan, money, have weapons, cook, threaten others in protection of the women mentioned, provide counsel after being told in the past that there's nothing that they know their women didn't already know, and that's actually a quote. Listen, but don't speak to, to them on the phone for hours. Entertain, entertain them, provide mind-blowing sex, perform yard work, bring food, make them feel safe, let the women stay with them, but the men should sleep on the couch in their own homes, and of course, come to give, get them, even if they're out of state and regardless of whether they've had contact with others at the potential threat of infecting these men and their families. The kinds of stories that I'm getting are, are, are incredible. 
I have, you know, like I said, I have men who are who've been married. Uh, they're in their third marriages in some instances, and they're getting calls from their first wives who they haven't spoken to in 30 years. And what I'm being told, the most consistent aspects of each of these calls, the most consistent markers is that they start out with, you know, you know, some kind of care, concern. How are you? Um, and then not very long into it, it comes down to a series of requests uh, about things that they need. And for many of these men, it's it's shocking. Uh, it's mind blowing because, again, these are often, you know, from people they haven't spoken to in years or um, were told very early on that they had no value. And now all of a sudden, in the midst of this difficulty, they seem to. So there's, there's, there's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of questions that, um, you know, um, people are contacting me with about, um, you know, what exactly they're being asked to do. And one of the main things that they're being asked to do is to protect and to provide. Now, this is interesting because we live in an era where we've been told that gender norms need to be disrupted and done away with, that masculinity and femininity are all social constructs and that anybody can do anything. And, you know, that's been the going narrative, especially in the academy uh, since the late 1980s, if anything, uh, particularly when I in the what I call the black academy, you know, <laughs> the black section of the academy. But seeming it, it, what, what seems to happen, however, in, in moments of difficulty, moments of stress, we kind of drift back into these notions, you know, and, and, and the idea around uh, gender and gender roles being a mere social construct kind of fall to the wayside when, you know, there's potential lives on the line, when there's when there's a threat that needs to be dealt with, especially in a context where jobs are being lost. Right. I mean, there are industries that are undergoing a massive shift automation. This is actually an, an opportune time for many companies to engage automation on a whole new set of terms. So there are people who are sheltering in, at home who are slowly finding themselves, you know, pushed out of their occupations. You know, it, there's a lot in question. But my concern is always black men. My concern is what we're experiencing, mainly because we've not really been allowed to talk about it. I mean, really until the advent of social media uh, and, and really the push uh, by black men to use social media for certain types of discussions, which is really, I mean, I would say maybe in the last 10 years prior to that, there really hasn't been any widespread platform for black men to communicate their experiences with one another. So as that's being done and black men are comparing notes, we're starting to find that there are some overarching similarities in our experiences. Um, but again, we're not supposed to talk about it. And, and in the academy, you're definitely not supposed to. If you don't openly engage uh, you know, a very outwardly demonstrative feminist framework, uh, your gender analysis is not considered relevant. So for black men in particular, as we undergo this quarantine and we experience it, many of us are on the front lines because many of us have to keep working. Uh, so there's definitely a life threat kind of dynamic happening. But in the midst of all of that, one of the things that we're grappling with is, is our newfound utility, especially with people who, you know, merely weeks ago, not even years, merely weeks ago, uh, were telling some of these black men that they weren't, they weren't of value at all, that they had no value, they had no importance. Uh, and if anything, and this is why I close my show the way I do, Many men, you know, reporting being treated as nothing more than sperm donors. And this is regardless of their income, regardless of their status. I have medical doctors that reach out to me. I have lawyers that reach out to me. I have black men that contact me from Europe to Aboriginal brothers in Australia. 
uh, telling me the same kinds of stories around the world from Africa, South Africa to Ghana, uh, and of course across the U.S. since that's my primary demographic, uh, the same kind of stories from professional brothers to blue collar brothers, the same kinds of narratives that come into play. Um, and these kind of experiences, you know, I want to engender a dialogue about with black men to reach out to one another and actually talk because, you know, in many ways we've been socialized. And I mean, this is partly a Western chivalrous, you know, kind of code, but also in the black community, as many of us have been raised by single mothers, we've learned how to prioritize women in a very distinct way. And we often, you know, do so without much reflection. But when we find ourselves in situations like this, it's interesting to step back and really just kind of pay attention to kind of things that we're experiencing um, and and really make sense of what it is we're, we're grappling with, right? What it is you're being presented and why. Um, and, and often one of these, one of the things that I'm hearing from other black men as well is it, it this is principally coming from people who really went out their way to articulate a lack of respect for said black men. So how do we make sense of that? Where do we go with that and what do you do? Um, you know, and again, one of the reasons I close out my show the way I do is to, it, it, one of the things I suggest to black men is to extend your resources and your support to those who have a track record of demonstrating respect for you as an individual person uh, and of course as a black male because that is not as common as, as it really should be uh, but nonetheless is something that needs to, to happen especially as things begin to ramp up um, being taken for granted being exploited and used as a utility um, is not necessarily uh, something I think should black men should allow, should allow to continue even when times are good but as times come into crisis mode uh, one of the things that some of these black men have reported to me is that they've been offered a performance of respect, a performance of cooperation in exchange for resources. Um, and this is a very difficult kind of situation to be presented with, especially if your media, as well as your upbringing, suggests that your only value is in your utility to others, right? Uh, this becomes a very luring, you know, situation for many black men. And I suggest highly sitting back, stepping back, paying attention to the situation and actually reflecting upon how you've been treated on a long term basis. Have you been extended respect? And this is a conversation I think black men need to have with one another as well, because that, too, is something that we've not really been allowed to do. Male spaces, male only spaces have come under fire in the last 10 to, 10 to 15 years to the degree where there are not many. Right. The whole notion of having a male only space is almost made synonymous with misogyny, even though female only spaces are still more than acceptable. So, you know, I actually urge men to take the time to dialogue with one another, join uh, social media groups where black men are supporting and talking to one another and engage in certain types of dialogue. Share your experiences, because at the end of the day, uh, we can no longer take for granted that what you're experiencing is an isolated thing and that you, in and, in and of itself, without reflection, um, are grasping the dimensions of it that one might need to, to better make sense of what's happening, right? So as these phone calls happen more and more, the reaching out, that what I call the hey, big head texts, you know, that come out of nowhere from people that really couldn't be seen in the light of day with you not long ago, take the time to reflect on why this is happening. 
listen very close if you engage the text or the phone call to what actually is being communicated, right? Because these are important. Um, a couple other news bits that I wanted to shout out as I continue. Uh, some of you may know rapper Scarface uh, has contracted COVID-19, um, as well as uh, I know uh, Bounce DJ Black and Mild died actually, according to Atlanta Black Star from his coronavirus uh, virus diagnosis. Uh, four inmates, uh, 18 workers in California prison have tested positive. Now this is, this is again, you know, when we start to talk about prisons and the homeless, we're really talking about two populations that are inundated with black men and are unregulated, meaning that there's not very much um, support for them institutionally, even though we are starting to see, you know, uh, state governments pushing for private business like hotel owners to open up their facilities to many of the homeless. For the most part, these are still very unregulated spaces uh, where the, the speed of transmission for a virus uh, it tends to go under the, under the rug. I mean, just last year, I think it was Los Angeles or San Francisco, but I want to say it was Los Angeles. You know, we, we, there was the bubonic plague that had reemerged under the homeless population. So you can imagine what something like this may do. And because the, the prison population and the homeless populations are connected, right? Many of the homeless are often arrested for being homeless. And then you have prisoners that are being released, many of whom who don't have family, who end up going straight into homelessness. Right. Even when they have housing vouchers, what we're finding is that many black men are not, uh, you know, nobody caters to them in that sense. So many of them are going directly into the homeless populations. And those two populations, if this catches uh, root in any of those spaces, could potentially be very dangerous. And it would adversely impact black men who are overrepresented in both. Uh, not long ago, we found out that black people were about 40 to 50 percent of the country's homeless on a national level. But few want to talk about the, the rates in which out of those black populations in the last few decades, at least, we found that the black male population of the homeless, it just amongst the black homeless, tended to be anywhere from 70 to 90 percent, uh, especially in many of the major urban centers. So uh, whether you're talking about inmates or whether you're talking about the homeless, uh, you're really talking about a population of black males who, again, are on the front lines and, and are extremely vulnerable to this coronavirus, just as many working, especially blue collar black men are also vulnerable because they are they have to work um, in, in order to be able to support their family. So at least three different major spaces where black men are highly vulnerable to um, illness, right? And when we don't have data that directly speaks to race and gender, a lot of the time uh, it can be obfuscated with um, other kinds of narratives. So when we say black, many of us assume a 50-50 dynamic of men versus women, and, of men and women, I should say. And if we say gender, much of the time we've already been trained to think of gender solely as female. So uh, again, when black men are adversely affected, unless that's explicitly stated, which it rarely is, most of us are oblivious to just how you know, devastating this, this or any other issue can be specifically to black men. So whether we're talking about homelessness, whether we're talking about incarceration, whether we're talking about unemployment, whether we're talking about healthcare access, whether we're talking about family court treatment, whether we're talking about you know any of those kind of dynamics where you have uh, anything from police brutality and homicide to intimate partner homicide or, or, or abuse, black males are rarely stated out and, and having their numbers explicitly articulated 
Um, and it's one of the things that, that impacts us negatively because when we're highly vulnerable, even black males themselves don't often know the extent of it. Now, this is partly the reason for the Onyx Report, because since that's not going to be articulated in our you know, national and international news, I try to point it out here. Right. And, and much of the time we find that black men are, are, are often in very difficult situations uh, beyond what other people imagine. Um, now, one of the aspects of today's show that I wanted to also get into, as we talk about relationships, as we talk about how men are being treated during the pandemic, one of the things to keep in mind is that we have a social expectation of black men that that's really kind of tricky. And I say tricky because over the last few decades, um, you know, black men are being told that they are not needed, being told that they are not valued. And yet, despite that, there's still a social expectation that they provide and protect. And this is a very strange dynamic that many black men can speak to where on one vein they are expected to provide, they're expected to earn beyond, you know, even the statistics about what they earn. And yet at the same time being told they're not needed, they're not valued. And, and so, again, when we deal with a crisis like this, we have things coming to the forefront, especially in regard to social expectations. Right. So, again, so the social expectations of being able to you know, financially t uh, take care of a family single-handedly, of course, being able to protect, especially against the potential of any kind of, um, you know, break-ins, any kinds of, of riotous, you know, behaviors, things of that nature. Society can go south very quickly, very quickly. Um, you know, is something is, and I don't, I, I don't want to engage in 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 fear mongering because I'm 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 really hoping it doesn't come to this. But if things do reach ahead where physical protection becomes necessary, um, what black men report is obviously being the first ones looked to in the family dynamic. And yet prior to that, prior to this kind of stressor, this kind of pandemic situation, um, there doesn't seem to be, at least as, as it's reported to me from black men who are going through this, uh, any kind of you know general respect for the roles they play in families. Now, I don't mean to suggest that's in every case by any means, but it's, it's a staggering number of black men over the last decade that I've heard tell similar stories about the lack of value, even when they are white collar, even when they are making six figures, um, the kind of respect that they're not given, but yet what seems to be demanded of them when the situation calls for it. But all of this to me goes back to the social expectation that black men play these roles while not being given the, the requisite respect that's supposed to come with that, right? So when we talk about gender relationships in past decades, especially before the 1970s, there was often an exchange. It was an exchange of resources. There was an exchange of, of, of roles that were rooted in an idea of uh, respect being extended for protection, so on and so forth, that's kind of been changed. So what we've had happen, especially since the 1970s and 80s, with the rise of second wave feminism, and of course, black, and black feminism, was this notion that women could change the roles they played. They could work, they could work part-time, they could not work, they could be stay-at-home mothers, they could be full-time CEOs. You had a range of roles that women play uh oh hello okay sorry the sound kind of did something strange there they had a range of roles that they could play but men were still you know resigned to one role 
uh, for the most part, in, in terms of being respected, right? So in that role, you had to, you still had to work full time. Stay-at-home fathers, so on and so forth, were often not extended that same kind of respect. Part-time working fathers, so on and so forth. Men's roles have, in terms of the social expectations, have stayed somewhat the same, although women's roles can now be all over the place. And that kind of offsetting has produced a problem. Uh, now it seems we got a caller calling in. Caller, tell us what your name is and where you where you calling from. Uh, Black Gnostic calling in from Los Angeles. Oh, okay. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, <laughs> base, you know, this is this is funny because, uh, you know, like you said, uh, even weeks ago, uh, black women were going on a tirade that uh, black men were the scourge of the black community and they weren't necessary and and uh, they needed another option. And now, like you said, when the crisis hits, now all of this stuff is actually reversed. Mm. It's it's. Uh, it's funny how the environment can actually change attitudes. Absolutely. Can you speak at all to anything you've experienced in the last couple of weeks that, that kind of relates to this um, or, or, or seen? Oh, well, you know, I've, I've experienced it by, uh, like you said, with uh, women I haven't heard from in years, you know, sending me a text or a phone call or trying to hit me up on Facebook. So, um, <laughs> but the thing is, that's to be expected. Fortunately, most of my exes are already married. So they already have a man. So I guess I dodged, dodged the bullet in that sense. <laughs> well, you, you'd be one. But it's interesting because I've actually had call, calls from married black men from their ex-wives who are currently married. Mm -hmm. And what's being offered or suggested is, you know, how do you say it? I mean, a willingness to leave current husbands to mm -hmm. go back to men they felt safer with. It's an interesting dynamic. That I'm, you know, that are that we're hearing about in all these kind of different situations. So it, it, it it's it's strange, and, and where it's going, I'm curious to know. Well, like you said, uh, especially in the black community, black men are seen as objects and tools. Mm -hmm. You know, and mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, uh, sometimes you need a hammer, sometimes you need a drill, sometimes you need a saw. <laughs> so <laughs> in a different in one environment, they might say, "Oh, I got a drill. That's all I need," and all of a sudden things go left and and the, the workload changes now i need a hammer mm. so, whereas before that the ex-husband might have been a hammer she upgraded to a drill because it's a little bit a little more easier and maybe even more elegant then the environment changes so wait a minute where's that hammer that i put away years ago mm. <laughs> okay so absolutely and 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 the kind of issues around respect because because a lot of people don't know for men i mean we all everybody wants to be respected i mean just on a generic level but for men i always argue that respect is the oxygen that men breathe we live and die by respect um there's an article in face to face africa that's that's real interesting came out um just a little few uh, not i want to say maybe a week ago and the title of it is woman shouts i have coronavirus and coughs and paramedics face during arrest for kicking boyfriend. Uh, and actually what it's about is a woman in Florida who was a black belt in martial arts. Mm -hmm. She broke her husband's or her boyfriend, excuse me, her, this is key, her boyfriend's nose mm -hmm. for, for refusing to have sex with her and then spit at a paramedic who responded to the scene while claiming she had the coronavirus. She then got into an altercation with police officers and it turned out what she was frustrated about was that she was planning to go back to her husband and leave her boyfriend, but she demanded sex and when he declined, she attacked him. So it, when we talk about utility, when we mm -hmm. talk about respect, one, one form of utility that we often overlook is, is sexual utility. Yes. 
you know, and so when black, and when I mentioned a little bit earlier, black men have reached out to me and, and I would say it's probably been no less than about 40 to 50 black men in just the last week. And that, that would probably, that'd be on the conservative end, mm. you know, but, but one of the ways, one of the forms of utility that we're looking at is sexual utility and, and yes. very, very few people talk about that in relation to black men. Uh, but one of the requests or, uh, you know, one of the more consistent requests that I've heard from these black men is that they've, they've been, been asked to provide, and this is a quote, mind blowing sex in the mm -hmm. midst of this, this, this situation. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to that at all? Have you seen anything along those lines? Well, well, well you know, uh, Tom, you know, Dr. Curry always says that, you know, in, in, I'm going to paraphrase it, that black men or black American males are the concubine class uh, of males in the world mm -hmm. because that is our reputation. Mm -hmm. And that's the ex expectation amongst our women because if you can't provide a minimum of, of decent sex for a black woman, she's not going to keep you very, for very long because mm -hmm. that's how she chooses. So, like I said, we have been socialized and acculturized to being that, that, that mandingo or being that, that, that male concubine for our women. And uh, you, you, if you notice, a lot of the other races, they, they look to us to provide the same service. Mm -hmm. so, so basically, a lot of men, you know, because we've been taught to devalue our sexual prowess, for lack of a better term, um, uh, uh, basically, women think that is part of the part of the service that we provide. So I'm not surprised. Uh, I've had those calls with from married ex-girlfriends to provide the same thing. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, one of the other things that that you know I think many of us have heard about in relation to the stimulus checks that are going out uh, is a very particular angle that I think adversely hits black men, and that's that's of course. The withholding of those checks for black men that may owe back child support. Mm -hmm. Now, now in the popular narrative, you know, of course, what we hear is that you know it, it's deadbeat dads mm -hmm. who don't support family, and, and and so in many ways you hear people feeling justified. As a matter of fact, on social media, I saw people dancing, you know, for joy mm -hmm. that these men, particularly black men, wouldn't get a stimulus check in this time period. Um, but what we often discount is that we've moved into a recession before the coronavirus, you know, in terms of where many black men find themselves. And so people are struggling mm -hmm. in regard to just basic employment in the first place. Now, the other thing we overlook is that, uh, and this is according to Judge Joe Brown on a recent podcast he did, where he talked about doing research into this and finding out that it's actually black men who are the most consistent out of other all groups of men as far as making child support payments. Uh, additional research that I've done, I found that over 70% of the 115 billion owed to the government for child support mm -hmm. is owed by Americans that make less than $10,000 exactly. a year. Exactly. You know exactly. what I mean? So, so when you're talking about black men who tend to be the most unemployed, I mean, a study done a couple years ago showed that mm -hmm. out of 40 major uh, urban centers, black men were between 40 and 50% unemployed. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about black men who are the most unemployed, have extremely high rates of homelessness, like I talked about earlier, mm -hmm. extremely high rates of incarceration, yet still manage to be the best fathers by survey, mm -hmm. right, and tend to be the most consistent in paying child support. But you have people dancing in the streets that they won't be able to get a stimulus check to provide some measure of security in the midst of all of this. 
What, what, do you, what are your thoughts about this? Well, you, you know, it's, it's, it, it, with the child support is just one angle, right? The other thing is that you have to have some kind of working income over the last two years. Yes. And I, I think the uh, Brookings Institute says there was upwards of like uh, 25 to 30 percent of black males, uh, black uh, adult males that had no verifiable income. I think it was over a period of like two years mm-hmm. where they did a contract. So you have a third of black men that don't have any, any uh, uh, legal income. Mm-hmm. So those also, so you can expect like over thirty percent of black males not to get an income, you know, to get that stimulus check. Mm. So it's not just, I mean, the ones that owe child support, which is, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a decent number, but not if you include the black males that didn't have any income over the past year or two. Um, you're talking about a third, a third of your black males that won't get any stimulus. So, but we ignore those uh, those black males. Because mm-hmm. we have some people, a lot of black men we know that are in the underground economy, or we call, you know, the unofficial gig economy, which we call hustling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, because they hustle to get their money, they don't file taxes and all that kind of stuff. So these are the people that may be out of work or may be struggling that is not going to get a, uh, not going to get a stimulus check. Well, That's and we absolutely, and and we understand now that the gig economy is com- coming under some fire. Um, in terms of uh, the stability that once, you know, one, one could say we might have associated with uh, the gig economy, there's there's a lot of areas of it that are unexpectedly coming under fire. I, I got an email a couple of weeks ago, I think it was from Grubhub, where mm-hmm. they said 70% of restaurant, restaurant patronage had gone down by about 70%. And mm-hmm. that actually included people using services like Grubhub, using services like DoorDash, you know, of course, in response to this this virus. And, and so the impact of that who may have eked together, uh, uh, you know, a lifestyle, and uh, uh, an income uh, to support their families from this gig economy are now mm-hmm. finding themselves in dire straits. Mm-hmm. You know, are you seeing any of this on your end? Oh, I hear about it all the time. And, you know, it's not it hasn't reached prices yet because, like we say, we're only like three weeks into this. So mm-hmm. so what, what's going to happen when we, you know, by April 30th, when you got to go another month? Mm. Because a lot of you know a lot of people have been able to stitch together you know uh, savings or borrow from somebody or living with somebody or whatever for a couple of weeks because they thought it would be over in a couple of weeks. What happens when it goes on a month or maybe two? Mm. Then you then you're gonna start seeing a lot of these reactions. You, then I'm sure your box is gonna get flooded. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it'll get flooded. You know uh, in April about about. You know, after Easter, I'm sure the box is going to get flooded by oh, males man. and females. Yeah. And it's 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 already happening. I, I, w- I, I would say I probably get at least, you know, two or three new messages a day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but again, since my primary target audience is black men, those are the ones who are writing me. And they're telling me about sometimes very funny stories, you know, sometimes other stories. Of course, one of the most consistent ones that, we're, that I'm also hearing about is now having to serve as teachers to their own kids at home <laughs> around the clock. So that's there's a new there's a new level of, of stress that, that that's coming from that. And as a matter of fact, just as a quick side note, um, I've been asked by a number of black men to do more reviews of films. So one of the things I'll be doing, and I'm just kind of putting this out to people now, I'm actually going to be be doing a, a more concentrated uh, set of reviews as well as providing, you know, talking points. And this is targeted at fathers and sons uh, because one of the things I, I just, I, you know, I just share on social media that uh, I'll sit down and watch uh, various movies with my son. So we watch, for example, um, Cadillac Records, Five Heartbeats, and Boys in the Hood. 
And that's just a sampling of a couple films. But what I do is I use those films to teach him about, you know, African-American history, about the family history, about the issues that black men face. So I'll be doing that in a more directed and concentrated effort, you know, focus with a more direct focus. And for anybody that's interested in that, um, I'll be putting some words out about that very soon. Uh, look to my, you know, supporting my Patreon and you'll, you'll have access to these videos, but it's really going to be a kind of a, an almost a kind of curriculum uh, about breaking down media that I find that, you know, is both entertaining and informative, uh, especially for, um, you know, fathers who want to, to dialogue with their sons about world events and things that are going on. So just a shout out for that, uh, you know, keep your eyes open for that people. But um, Black Gnostic, what, what would you say is, is the primary issue that you think is on the table I mean, you mentioned what happens in the next, uh, you know, few weeks, the next couple months. But mm -hmm. for black men in particular, what would you say is the primary issue they need to focus on? Um, one is uh, basically if you if you have a skill or, or or even if you have a hustle, now's the time to actually start exploiting it to the best of your ability. Because uh, as uh, Littlefinger said in Game of Thrones, sometimes chaos can become a ladder. Mm. And, and, you know, I've seen brothers out there selling, you know, masks on the corner and said, you know, they transitioned from selling CDs like they normally would to actually selling uh, uh, masks. Mm. So, so basically they're, you know, the, the hustlers can actually evolve to the environment quicker because they have to. And yeah, now's the time, yeah. now's the time not to sit back and wait because uh, we have no idea what's going to happen on the other side of this crisis because, you know, we have a twofold uh, crisis, not only... Uh, 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 environmental or, or you know or disease uh, crisis, which is the pandemic, but also what's doing to the uh, to the economy, which was always already weak, and mm -hmm. already transitioned to automation. Okay, mm -hmm. and uh, and brothers, you know, you know, this is the time to actually go to uh, to to those warehouses. I mean, you need to uh, mask up, wear your mask, wear your protective gear. I'm saying those brothers that don't have any work, guess where the guess where the work is. All right. So mm. it's time not to twiddle your thumbs and feel sorry for yourself. I mean, the Amazon warehouse, basically, they need all the help they can get. Uh, mm. UPS can need all the, all the help they can get because the only way they're getting goods and services to people is by delivery. Mm -hmm. So if mm -hmm. you have a willing to work, it's the stuff that women really can't do. If you're willing to work, you can find a job that at least tied yourself over. And so it's, you can actually make it through this crisis. So mm -hmm. this is not the time to actually twiddle your thumbs. Uh, uh, the people I feel sorry for are the... Uh, the people getting let out of you know out of jail. Oh my goodness! With, with yeah. no place to go because yeah, uh, they they're just dumping these guys on the street. They become part of the homeless. Yes, sir. But, but I would tell the, those brothers the same thing, man. Um, uh, Amazon and UPS and all these warehouses that ha actually have to deliver goods are becoming so desperate they'll hire anybody. Well, yeah, because we've seen a shift in our economy away from the, you know, the brick and mortar store model. Right. So, so once you get rid of, you know, for the last X number of years, you get rid of a lot of those stores to where only the largest chains are, are able to stay afloat. What happens when overnight you get hit with a pandemic where people shouldn't be in contact with each other? Exactly. Exactly. You know, that's, it's devastating. I mean, yeah. I, and I have students that work at Walmart that are telling me horror stories about, you know, the ways that customers are treating them. The lack of equipment that uh, you know th their employers are providing for them, uh, and that and that's beyond Walmart. I'm seeing the same. Look, every grocery store that I've been to, uh, even every fast food restaurant, I can't say I've seen one 
where where the employees had masks. Mm-hmm. I've only seen a couple where they had gloves. But mm-hmm. much of the time, they're interacting with people directly. You know, especially if you go through the drive-through, they're three feet away from you, which is you know below the six-foot distance we've been we've been we, that we've been told is supposed to be relatively safe. Mm-hmm. They're doing that with car after car after car, right? With no protection. With no protection. Yeah, I, I finally saw. I think I was going through McDonald's drive-through today. I actually finally saw somebody in drive-through that's taking money that actually had a mask on. She had a mask on. Wow. So I think it's starting to get out. Uh, the word started to get out. You know, it, it may be fairly benign uh, virus that you may, you, you probably, it's like a 1% infection rate, but the thing is you don't want to be the one. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if you look at what that means for a country the size of the U.S., mm-hmm. that's incredibly powerful. Yeah, I mean, I'm about, about 3 million dead. Or, see that? Or three to Three to 5 million people that will succumb to this, uh, to this disease if it spreads the way they say it could spread. And there's a there's there's a brother I caught on YouTube who actually talked about if our fatality rate reaches the the close to 10 percent mark that we saw in Italy, mm-hmm. we're talking around what 20 million? Yeah, 20 million, 30 million, which is the what was the upper uh, limit of what it could do, which is something we've never seen in this country ever. Yeah. Not even in wartime. Not even in wartime. Yeah. Absolutely. So this is a very dangerous time, and 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 shout outs to those of you that that have to be out there. If you don't have to be, I would urge you to stay indoors if at all possible. Um, but you know, if you have to be, shout out to those who are out there. Um, if you're able, to, if you've been able to hold on to your employment, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, I'm afraid that there's going to be an increasing number of people that don't have that, those means. Um, so just be on guard, people. Uh, but especially in regard to to black men who, again, are seen as a utility, seen as a stepping stool uh, for others, mm-hmm. you know, really be mindful of who you extend yourself to. Because at this time frame, you know, I- I'm finding people are willing to say almost anything. And they, and as you pointed out, this mm-hmm. is the beginning end of this. This is the beginning end. We just, in, you know, we just like, uh, I mean, they were already, I, I noticed women were already starting to panic uh, before they, uh, Whenever she talked about the the pandemic, and I think it really got real when the schools shut down, when the, when the kids started to come home. Now sure. we have women sure. that are, may or may not be working that probably mm-hmm. do have a job and mm-hmm. have to go to work, and their kids are at home by themselves. So mm-hmm. um, they, they're gonna, you know, the fathers are gonna get a call. Hey, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, my kids at home, I gotta go to work, and there's nobody to watch them because the schools are closed. Mm-hmm. So right now, now, now we, the, the, our utility is needed. What I would say to black men is that basically don't uh give it away for free get well, an exchange absolutely and this is this is interesting because we're, we're we're hearing this after several decades especially in the academy of hearing that the nuclear family structure is irrelevant it's passe mm-hmm. uh the, the single parent model is more than 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 you know more than capable of handling the problems we're dealing with but then you hit this pandemic Mm-hmm. And and now all of a sudden we start to see what people all around the world have recognized that having familial support, but even even in terms of just two spouses, I mean we mm-hmm. you know that that become that can be a very useful structure uh, as opposed to having to do it all by yourselves because like you pointed out even if you do have a, a job that you've been able to keep beyond you know this crisis, you got your kids at home. How do you navigate that? You know, right. How much more difficult is it when you don't have a partner to leverage that with and even associating with your friends and trying to share those responsibilities, which is something we've seen people do in the past, may not work 
under the structure, under the issues that we have going on with this particular COVID-19, you know, issue. You yeah, because, because the state, you know, you know, thank God for the modern state because it, it gives a safety net in certain structures where you can maneuver by yourself. A single a parent can maneuver, can get by. But the mm. thing is, what happens when those structures break down? Mm. It shows you how vulnerable we actually are. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I've been trying to also let people know that in terms of vulnerability, not only because, you know, black men find themselves having to work. I mean, there's a recent report that came out about Milwaukee mm -hmm. uh, where we found out that, you know, it was middle aged African-American men who were on the front line. Uh, and this is an article you can find on JSOnline.com uh, that talks about, you know, in Milwaukee, the coronavirus cases is, are cases are mostly middle aged African-American men. Aside from that, you can also find a report on um, thelancet.com. I mean, I may be mispronouncing that, uh, but one of the headline notes for it reads that although sex disaggregated data for COVID-19 show equal numbers of cases between men and women so far, there seem to be sex differences in mortality and vulnerability to the disease. Emerging evidence suggests that more men than women are dying, potentially due to sex-based immunological or gender differences, such as patterns and prevalence of smoking. And yeah. there's there's more there, but just did, did to kind you, of put that out there. Did you see the? Uh, I think it was, I think it was either t uh, yesterday or today, where I think it was in the New York's Daily News, where they're saying they were having uh, uh, prisoners from Rikers uh, Rikers Island actually digging graves. Mm. Yeah. During the yeah. coronavirus, you know. Yeah. So I mentioned that earlier. Mm. So even even so so whether you're you're talking about prisoners, whether you're talking mm. about the recent recently released, mm. whether you're talking about the you know the blue collar, the poor right. black men find themselves vulnerable uh, on every level. You know, um, we got a call from the six one four area code six one four. Join the conversation. Uh, we're in here with Black Gnostic. Uh, give us your name and where you're from. Yes, this is Daoud Giazan. I'm calling from Columbus, Ohio. How you doing, Daoud? What's going on with you? Doing fine, doing fine. Um, I'm sorry I'm, I'm coming in the middle of your conversation. I was not able to pick it up online on two separate devices, and I thought I'd try to call in and, and see where I can, can contribute. Well, I appreciate that. And for anybody else that's having that problem, I'll be uploading this to YouTube. Usually uh, I do it the same night so you can actually hear the whole thing. But uh, go ahead, Daoud. Tell us what's, what's going on out there. Um, people are really um, living under uh, uh, semi-martial law nights uh, here in Columbus. Mm. Um, some people are obeying distances and that sort of thing. Um, mainly people are pretty much staying close uh, to home with family and loved ones. Mm -hmm. um, it is very difficult, though, to uh, connect with what's happening, with what is known about what's going on, and that's what's very unsettling for me, uh, particularly for uh, uh, African-American people and, and, and definitely men in particular, uh, as to what's being out ex expected of us. Uh, what is very difficult to, to connect is how uh, problematic lives uh, black people live in this society knowing what's happening with the, the virus. And this is where I want to get particular and a bit interesting. The, cra the areas that have the largest numbers of deaths from the starting point of the, the virus, Wuhan in China, um, and also Lombardy in Italy, 
Well, those happen to also be highly concentrated, dense populated areas with polluting industries. Mm. Uh, not enough people are making that distinction. Well, one of the uh, clear things that's come out uh, here recently in a number of days is out of Milwaukee, there's been a large number of uh, coronavirus-related deaths among blacks in Milwaukee. And I'm researching it now for something else I'm working on. Uh, but I'm suspecting very highly that, uh, that there are going to be black people in uh, Wisconsin and probably elsewhere. Uh, I understand there's also a number of people of, uh, of deaths of blacks in Louisiana. And I believe that has something to do with uh, Cancer Alley. I suspect mm. that there's going to be a large number of deaths uh, to the coronavirus uh, that blacks will experience, not because uh, of the gist of the virus, but because it's susceptible because mm -hmm. of the redlining and zoning mm. that is taking place that has placed it in what by the 80s became popularly known as uh, environmental racism areas. And as a result, we're going to be disproportionately uh, susceptible to this as we are to so many things and therefore and the last thing I'll say in addition to this there's been talk of and some releasing of prisoners uh, and that really mm -hmm. is another thing that's uh, surprising to me because that should be the most automatically quarantined place in the United States mm -hmm. uh, to be safe from things the weak link there is the guard you mm -hmm. test the guard yeah, they, now, they, 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 they have been testing the guards and basically great uh, they have been tested guards. The people, the prisoners actually are being released are actually tested before they are. And I've read reports where, uh, where the, the, the uh, anybody that's tested positive in the, in a block that's been tested probably they're automatically isolated and quarantined. And a lot of the prisoners saying it's like uh, being in Nazi Germany where they can't go anywhere. They're actually locked down and they can't go outside or anything like that. So the ones that are tested positive are being locked down, like, like almost severely and isolated. Mm -hmm. but, the, but, the, but the difficulty is because this takes anywhere from 14 to 21 days, you know, for symptoms to show in, in a concentrated environment. Yeah. You literally have people sleeping on top of each other. Mm -hmm. You know, it, that time period is crucial in terms. And, and if, you know, if the wrong situation happens, it's like yeah. a, a gasoline and a match. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. but go ahead, yeah. Doug, continue with you, what you were saying. Well, that, that's great, and, and I understood that was to some degree going on, although they did test, we got notoriety from the basketball players that were tested, and I couldn't help but think of that in terms of property being tested, but I'll, I'll put that aside. But that's, the place, <laughs> but, but that's the place where people would, in a prison, could be automatically quarantined, and as you're sharing with me, that's to some degree is going on, but the weak link there is not the prisoner, it's the guard. It is a guard. Uh, so then let, allowing people to then leave that potentially secure area where they can be safe from the virus, if it was about concerns about the virus, then to let some men who you said are being tested and shown to be uh, uh, negative for the virus to be able to go home, because I guess the concept there is that they'll be less amenable to catching the disease in the right. prison. The problem is they're disproportionately going to be released into these highly uh, environmentally racial areas where they will chance they had a better chance of even getting the virus so what is really going on here i must ask and i'll stop there wow wow interesting question interesting question uh anything you want to drop in there black gnostic oh basically it's called social distancing basically you want to you want to decrease the, the the population that's inside because if if they say if you do have a, a prison that's like five or six thousand people 
and one person catches it and it spreads throughout the whole prison, including the guards. You have like 10,000 people. Uh, basically, it becomes almost like a death camp. Oh, do my God. You, do you, do you yeah. treat them? Do you treat them? Uh, do you let them die and isolate them? What, how do you do? Because you don't have enough beds for the for the, right. for the for the population. You don't have ten thousand beds. And guess who's going? Who's last on the list to get ventilators and absolutely stuff, stuff like you did? I, I doubt there's even ventilators in the hospital. You know, in, sure. in, in the prison to actually sure. treat these people, right? So basically, what you're going to do is, if they get severe symptoms, you're going to let them die. So if so, if we say if you have ten thousand inmates and say like ten percent of them get it, so you're going to let a thousand people die in a prison it's almost like a death camp and then even the when people that recover are going to have severe uh, organ damage because uh, mm-hmm. there you go mm-hmm. this, right. partic- this particular virus attacks the lungs attacks mm-hmm. the heart and the liver three yes. things that you need to live so basically Absolutely. and I've, I've heard I've talked to medical professionals said even people that recover are going to have long-term effects with the damage that that this virus has done to the to the to the to their hearts and their livers absolutely mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and I definitely agree with all that. And I definitely believe that is problematic for the prison if we didn't have a bit of a heads up. As we agreed, the guard is the weak link. Mm-hmm. So and, precautions could have been done there in January, if not December, mm-hmm. to ensure that these people would not have the scenario that you're, you, that you're, you're having. And if they did, they would have to separate them and further contain them, as you said, that is already happening. Mm-hmm. My concern is that that's great, but then to let them out into areas uh, where they're going to be disproportionately going to become at risk to getting it Vulnerable, because yeah. of where black, black people are, it becomes a lose-lose situation. And it, and it seems to me, especially at the federal level, to allow them to leave, to want yeah. them to leave out of federal prisons, is a means of shifting financial responsibility. Uh, if that, if the, if the scenario is the case. Partially, you know, because the prison is a very highly concentrated area. And so mm-hmm. basically, if, if, they're te- if they're not tested positive and you leave them in there, the, the, the likelihood of them catching it and c- catching it severely goes way, way up. So basically, mm-hmm. this is a policy of social distancing. Mm-hmm. You got you to you you reduce the population. Well, part of the problem too is with the with with that population and the homeless population. Yeah. There's so there's so little oversight. Wow, that was uh, I was going there next. Yeah, yeah, there's so little oversight. There's so little regulation that I would argue that the outside public, by the by the time we hear about the stories that we do get, which mm-hmm. are probably rare, um, it, it, it's potentially much worse than what we're getting. I mean, yeah. these are populations that we are used to hearing very little from. And in regard mm-hmm. to, to black men, this is why I talk about the black male dual economy, mm-hmm. because, it, it, you know, at the same time, we're having the kinds of experiences the three of us are talking about right, right. now. Mm-hmm. There's still a social expectation that we not only be able to compete with people who don't have these kind of issues, but that we need to be able to surpass them. Yeah. And so that's why the title of today's show is, OK, you can be a, na- a man now. Right. Expectations of black men during the COVID-19 quarantine. It, it, what we're hearing, even in the black community, even from past partners, potential partners even, mm-hmm. is is a willingness to accept black male performance on fairly traditional lines that was not a given a couple of weeks ago, let right. alone years ago. Yeah. Right. There's a right. willingness to allow black men to play this kind of role, but it, it, it's questionable in terms of whether or not this is a, 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 a yeah. reputable request, you know, because at the end of the day, uh, if things stabilize, <laughs> What are what are we going to be hearing from the same yeah. people who are asking well, well, for this kind of sacrifice? Well, well, basically, from here on out, the price of female companionship has gone way down. Mm. Wow. 
What so, but, but in other words, um, now men, men, their men are, are in the driver's seat. They're they're the buyers and not the sellers. <laughs> and, and wow. Men, and the men need to transition their 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 mindset and attitude that now now you're the prize and not her. So don't mm. let her hoodwink you to think that she still is, because what she's providing basically now instead of having one, you have ten. They're willing to provide the exact same thing. We had to compete. Let them compete. And it's interesting the numbers you just gave because, and I don't know, you know, what those numbers are based on, but the men who are writing me mm-hmm. are saying very similar things. And, and I, th- I said this earlier, it, whether it, whether it's on dating sites or just from people they've already known, they now have multiple, you know, women who are contacting them and asking them to play these mm-hmm. these very these you know, traditional. But but tr- the traditionalism of it was not welcome. And and I, you know, I've heard this yeah, in the academy. Yeah. Uh, men have, have been told this since, I mean, if anything, since the 1980s that, um, you know, you, you're not needed. I don't need a man. You're not required. I can do this without you. And mm-hmm. now there's a willingness to have a conversation about traditionalism that one could not have just a few weeks ago. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I agree. Just the mere fact that, say, if, say, once this crisis is over and you still have the economic crisis, there's going to be, yes. you know, shall we say, some kind of social disruption, right? Yes. And everybody, you know, I've heard that from females, just having a man in your house or in your presence gives you, you know, your, your odds of not being attacked and not being bothered go way up. Okay. Sure. But, so, the, but then the question on the table is, how do we have... Uh, reciprocity how do we have mutual re- support many men don't know how to have that conversation exactly. because we've never been taught that we are deserving of that yeah. um, we only got a few minutes left fellas but we got another caller and I want to see if we can just kind of squeeze them in from the 757 area code caller what's your name and, and, and tell us where you're from Oh, my name is Otis Griffin and I'm from York Town, Virginia I, I'll get straight to the point because I know you're tired so the only part I'll cover is I hear you talking about the prison guards going back and forth and what they do. Literally in the late 70s, in the early 80s, I was dating a, a person that was in criminal justice. Before privatization really took hold, in, they actually had contingency plans that were modeled under the concept of bringing in temporary trailers and stuff to confine the guards and employees to the compound so that you could regulate something like this with a viral. It, but once privatization came in, it's the profit model, so they don't really care about the health. And I heard one of the gentlemen say, actually, what they've decided is those deaths are pretty much the cost of doing business. Mm-hmm. Pretty much like Madeline Albright. I'll leave it there. I love your program, Madeline. Look, you're about four decades too late for me, but it gets me hope. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate the support, Otis. <laughs> yeah, 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 basically, it's going to be a Kobayashi Maru. You know, how many deaths are acceptable to, to the cost of doing business? And uh, you know you're going to have to break that down. Don't know why the few people know what the, the Kobayashi Maru <laughs> Go ahead and break it down. Kobayashi Maru is basically a Star Trek reference for a no-win situation. So basically, either situation is equally as bad. You know, do uh, you have people die? Do you have your economy or your profits actually plunge? And equally, uh, equal... Uh, equal situation both situations can be equally as bad so basically there is no better or worse uh, uh basically have to decide how you want to die you know do you want to get blown up by the by the uh, you know you want to get blown up by the uh, by the klingons or do you want to let 300 <laughs> people on the vessel die which one do you want so either one is actually equally bad 
and we we're heading into that kind of crisis as far as uh, economics and also the virus. Unfortunately, you know, I think the, the only thing uh, that we have gotten is basically we dodged a bullet because there's eight strains of this particular uh, viral agent out there, and unfortunately, we have uh, one of the weaker strains, and and looks like Europe got one of the stronger ones. Uh -huh. Because all the numbers, Germany, France, Spain, even the UK has, um, I think the, the, the uh, mortality rates over like 6%. So, well, are we, are we past the point of no return in terms of the economy, especially with this multi-trillion dollar federal reserve injection? So, so like, even if we all wake up tomorrow and they say, well, you know what, you know, the virus is no longer a concern. Are we past the point of no return economically? where this is still going to be just devastating across the board for the next number of years. Well, the thing is, it might be devastating over the next some, uh, a few years or maybe even a decade. But the thing is, do you, is that preferable over a systemic collapse all at once? Oh, sure. Yeah, sure. So, so sure. The thing is, is that at what point are you going to get a systemic collapse all at once where everything goes to hell all at once over a slow decline? So. Well, I'll tell you, I, I asked the question because mm -hmm. I, what I'm hearing from people, you know, randomly is, oh, well, you know, more people have died from other things than the coronavirus. This is not really a big deal. I think mm -hmm. this is kind of the impetus behind, you know, what I see at the grocery stores where people are walking around like there's nothing really going on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and the idea, I think, that undergirds all of it is, well, you know, more people died from, you know, a bunch of other stuff than this. So we really have nothing to worry about mm -hmm. it, is the economic aspect of this such that even if they're right and the virus proves to be nothing is it already devastating is it already especially in the black community is it already impactful enough to shift behavior even in regard to coupling dating and mating oh yeah because the economic damage that we've already gone through can't really be undone yeah. uh, and uh and it's, you know, to even dig out from the debt that they had to spend, because I know the, the Fed had to spend like $5 trillion within two weeks, and that has to be paid back. And that's going to, you know, that's going to take a while to dig, dig out. So a lot of social services is going to have to be cut. A lot of uh, uh, jobs are going to be cut. A lot of uh, uh, corporations that lost money are going to have to automate and actually lay off people. So this damage is going to go on for the next five years, I, I suspect. Well, so, go, oh, go ahead. No, okay. so 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 basically, this is so so basically, this is the uh, this is the, the least favorable, the most favorable condition out of this, because the economy was already weak. Well, I, I want to. Uh, we're going to have to close out here. I want to thank uh, thank Black Gnostic. I want to thank Daoud for calling in, uh, and uh, and and I want to thank you all for checking out the Onyx Report. Uh, we'll be back on. Uh, I think this is uh, so. Today is the first. So we'll be back on the 15th at 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, remember that on alternate weeks, as of like the 8th of next week. I am here to tell you, brothers, we are not criminals by birth, perennial rapists, incapable intellects, man children, sperm donors, child support wellsprings, success objects, walking phalluses, ATM machines, lottery tickets, unpaid bodyguards, interchangeable stepfathers, child discipline proxies, unpaid repairmen, workhorses, or any other socially accepted dehumanizing stereotype. We are thinkers, inventors, innovators, leaders, fathers, and men. Embrace your humanity, know your worth, and extend your time, attention, and resources only to those who genuinely respect you. And remember, your worth is not defined by meeting other people's narcissistic, selfish, and unrealistic needs. You define your worth.